Well, good morning, Life Fellowship. It's so good to see you here. Turn in your Bibles to Daniel 6. We're going to be in Daniel 6 this morning. And I'm excited uh, to see you all here this morning. I, I, I hope that you will, uh, especially you guys, I hope that you'll come out on Thursday nights for Husband University. It's a four-week four week commitment. I know maybe you can't make it to every single session, but man, I really believe uh, that these next four weeks will make you a better husband in your marriage relationship. And I, I'm excited to, be, to start it off. Uh, we're going to have uh, one of our elders teaching this Sunday or this Thursday, and I really hope that you'll be make it out there for these four weeks that we're going to be teaching on how to be godly husbands. Um, I'm not sure how many of you ever had kids or, or remember the stage that children get in, but one of my favorite—I shouldn't maybe favorite—but it's it's one of those seasons as a parent that when your kids or your grandkids they start asking the why question. You know what I'm talking about? It's everything becomes why. Why do we do that? Why does this happen? Why? And, and you would just, they keep, and, and maybe one of your kids is like this, but I would have a couple why askers, you know, why this, why this? And I would get to the end of the line, which was like, because either I said so or because God said so. You know, you just kind of follow along the, these things. I'll never forget, I was sitting in my car, taking my four-year-old son, Jaden, to his, his preschool, and he's sitting in the back seat, now the blue, dad, why did God create Adam and Eve if he knew they were going to sin? And I'm like, dude, you're four years old, man. Like, give me a break. It's, it's 7.30 in the morning. And, and, and why questions are so important. Why questions are really important, especially when we're reading and studying God's word. And there's a couple why questions I want us to ask the story we're going to read about this morning. And it's a story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, this is a story that if you grew up in church, or maybe you even didn't even grow up in church, this is one of those top 10 stories that most people are familiar with in the Word of God. The whole idea is Daniel is this faithful servant of God, and these other people don't like him, and so they create a, a scheme that they pass this law that only, people can only pray to the king, and Daniel doesn't abide by that because he only prays to God and so they catch him and they throw him into this lion's den and God miraculously supernaturally saves him. That's the facts, the details of the story. And and maybe we're familiar with that. And so it's like, okay, so what what's the point of this? Well, let's take a let's take a step back. Remember the the narrative of what we're going through right now. The Daniel narratives and we've said there's, these, there, there's this parallel passage from Daniel 6 to Daniel 3, right? There's, there's, we see a lot of similarities in these two stories. And I want us to look at these, these parallels because I think they'll t- they teach us something, okay? And, and I don't have these parallels on the screen, screen for you. But, but both of these stories involve a pagan decree that attacks the worship of Yahweh, and the penalty is death, that's the first one, all right? Both involve a pagan decree that attacks the worship of Yahweh, and death is the penalty. The second parallel is this. Both show faithful Jews defying the laws and decrees and deciding to choose death over compliance. It's really important. Both, both Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire furnace and Daniel in the lion's end, both these are both true. The third parallel, both mention an angel supernaturally delivering the, the faithful from death. It happens in both stories. The, the fourth parallel, both have pagan kings 
recognizing the power and the authority of God and declare that he should be worshipped and respected. And so you see that happening both to Nebuchadnezzar and Darius here in this passage. And then lastly, both accounts end with a statement how the faithful were promoted or were prospered. Now, here's the, here's the first why question. Why? If, if this story was already in Daniel 3, why do we have to have a parallel account in Daniel chapter 6? There's so many, I mean, I could just rerun Daniel chapter 3 sermon with a point and say, hey, here's the same thing over again. What is going on here? Why, why do you think Daniel is writing a parallel passage? And I think one of the, here's what you have to understand. There's, diff, there's a different kingdom, there's a different king, there's different laws, there's different people involved, but it's the same problem. It's the same problem. You see, there is something that Daniel's trying to point out, that he is saying this, it doesn't matter the king or the kingdom or the way in which they're trying to attack the worship of God, there's always going to be the same problem that Babylon, which stands for the world's system, is going to show up all the time. You need to be ready and prepared no matter who is in charge of the government. Now, I know that uh, there, there's a lot of debate. You know, people, you talk to people today, what would have been different if Donald Trump was elected? Or what would have happened? You know, you ask these kind of questions. What would have happened if this, or what would have happened if Hillary? It doesn't matter. But here's the thing you have to remember it doesn't matter whether your guy got elected or your guy didn't get elected. It doesn't matter the human authority. There will be problems. They might be different kinds of problems, but it's the same kind of problem that deals with there will be an attack on your faith to trust in God alone. And that's something we've got to understand. We can never put our hope in human authorities, in human institutions, because it doesn't matter who's in charge, there will be a test to our faith. And that's what, he's, that's what Daniel's trying to explain here. And there's, there's another question I want us to have, and I want us to dig into the story of Daniel chapter 6 again and see if there's another question that might prop up in your mind as we read this very familiar story. Let's look in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius. Now, let me just stop right there. Who is Darius? Now, if you're studying this passage, you say, who's Darius of the Bible? There's two different Dariuses. There's Darius the Great, who's a Persian, and there's Darius the Mede, who is here in Daniel chapter 6. Now, most scholars will tell you they've never been able to find Darius the Mede in any, in any extra-biblical literature, any historian. But what I believe is that, that if you do some study and research, there is a guy by the name of King Cyaxares II, who I believe was this king. Now, a lot of times you're like, why does he not have the same name? Well, there's a lot of times that the Bible uses different names for kings than their other general name that was used. And sometimes kings had different titles and different names that were used. But this Darius that we have in the Bible, I believe if you do the scholarly work, that a lot of people that are critical of the Bible say, see, this guy never existed. This is just a parable. This isn't a real story. No, I believe this is a true event. And there is a guy by the name of King Cyaxares who was the king of the Medes who led the, the, media, the, 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 um, the combination of the Mede and Persian Empire. His daughter married Cyrus the Great, which we're going to see later on in, in the book of Daniel. And so this was a real guy. Don't let anyone say that, well, the Bible's not true because they've never been able to find it. Darius. It's just a different name, but the same person. I think it's really important we understand these kinds of things. 
So look again. This is please Darius to set over the kingdom. Now he has just taken over Babylon. He's just established his kingdom. 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So the whole idea is there's 120 governors, there's three presidents, and then there's one king. So Daniel would be in charge of an area or about 40 different guys. And each of these, uh, these certain levels that, that were in charge, they, they had a bit of authority because that's how government and organizations work. There's, there's a flow chart to things. And Daniel's one of these guys, one of the most powerful people in, the Rome, or in the, this Mede and Persian empire. And, and so look at verse 3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set over him the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions. So this is something that's really interesting. So they're like, we got to get Daniel. The only way we can get Daniel is if we do something that's against his god. And so they go to the king and like, hey, king, we have this idea. No one can pray to any other god for 30 days but you. Now, why, why would they do that? If you are a new king establishing your authority over this new kingdom, what you want to do is you want compliance. And so what better way to bring unity and bring everyone under your authority than to make everyone pray to you for 30 days? Great idea if you're a king looking for this kind of thing. Now, here's another interesting thing about this story. Most of the time, especially in the Mede and Persian Empire, there is really no record of, of killing people through lines. They, they had a lot of gruesome ways of killing people. But killing people through lines was not one of them, which tells us something. These guys hated Daniel so much, they wanted to create new ways in how to kill someone. They wanted his death to be painful. They wanted his death to be gruesome. And that's how, how much they hated Daniel. Well, let's continue reading. It says in verse 8, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber opened towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, This thing stand fast according to the law of Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. Now notice that little, they wanted Daniel to be known as the exile, not the guy in charge. They wanted 
him to be, he wanted, they wanted Daniel to be seen through the lens of he's not one of us. He's not one of you. He doesn't really believe in your authority, king. And so one of these guys who's one of the exiles pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night uh, fasting, and no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish, O the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then, the, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the, the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before, before him and also before you, O king, and I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Now, what's the why question? This is a story. I just read the story. It's very familiar to us. What's the why question? Here's the why question that caught me this week. And it's a very similar parallel to the Daniel chapter 3. Why is this story from the king's perspective? You ever notice that? You, the story follows along the king. Daniel only talks in verse 21 and 22. Daniel is this far off being like there's things happening to Daniel, but what you're seeing, the main characters in the story, where you're seeing the conversations take place is in the throne room. King Darius is the main character here. And, and, and we see in other passages of Scripture, whether it's Daniel chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 2, you see the inner workings of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and what they're thinking and what they're saying and how they're praying. But in both Daniel chapter 3 with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel chapter 6, with, with, Daniel, with, with King Darius, what you see is what's happening is from the perspective of this pagan king. Now, why is that so important? That is important because the whole point of this story is to say this, how you and I, as followers of God, how we face opposition is the opportunity we have to be witnesses to who God is and how great he is. See, that's what it's all about. It's about when we face opposition to our faith, when we face opposition to, to our beliefs, when we are attacked because of our faith in God and in his word and in his laws and his authority, when we face that opposition, how we handle that opposition is always going to be an opportunity for God to show his power, his might, his goodness through us, to a pagan world who does not yet believe. 
This is important because I think for most of our lives, we want to avoid the opposition. We want to avoid the persecution. We want to avoid the hardships in life that come from following God. But one of the things that Babylon needs to teach us and what Daniel teaches us is when we live in Babylon, we will face opposition. And if you face opposition, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to show who God really is. It's not about you. It's not about your comfort. It's not about your, it's not about your own life. This is about the perspective of, is God, is the God of heaven that you serve, is he real? And how people know that he is real is by how you handle your opposition. So how do we do that? How, how, do we see, how do we understand opposition? Here's the main idea. Opposition is always an opportunity to increase our witness for Jesus. That's the main idea. Our, our opposition to our faith is always going to be an opportunity for us to be a witness for Jesus in our world. And that's what we've got to ask ourselves. Are we taking advantage of the opportunities that we have to be a witness to those around us? There are people all around us watching us. People are watching you, how you interact with people at your work, how you interact with the students at your school, how you interact with people that, that in your neighborhood, your neighbors, your family, your friends. People are watching. How do you handle it? And you can be a witness for God in great ways. And there's three ways that we can be great witnesses for God in the midst of opposition. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. The first way that we, are, we can be a, a, an opportunity for a witness is this. Number one, live blamelessly and work with excellence. Live blamelessly and work with excellence. Notice that the first thing that's mentioned about Daniel here is that he is an unbelievable leader. He is someone who does good work. As look at verse 3. It says in verse 3 of chapter 6, Then, Dan, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because of an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. He was saying is, Daniel did amazing work. Daniel had an excellent spirit. He said there's something inside of Daniel that he served the king and he served the king well. When he had a job to do, like these other two other guys that were, up, that were like him, he exceeded in his work with excellence. This is so important for us today. I, I, I don't want to miss this point. That, that a lot of times, we got to rem remember that you, you and I, we represent Jesus in our labor. We represent Jesus in how we treat other people. And listen, I, I want all of us to be able to share our faith. It's important that we, we share our faith in Jesus with other people. But let me just say this. We better understand that we have an opportunity that the people will listen more when we show that we are good workers. When, we, when we're the ones who are giving sacrificially, when we're the ones who are very gracious and kind to all people, the ones that we are the hardest working, that do, does the best work to our abilities. That is a Christian thing. You know why? Because our job and our calling and our neighborhood, it doesn't matter what you do, your education, you represent Jesus. The Bible calls us ambassadors for Christ. You know, so when you're when you're a student and you're doing schoolwork, guess what that means? That means you do the schoolwork because it's not just about getting the grade. It's about making sure that that is a grade that, that your work is a reflection of your worship to God. 
It's not just about you getting a paycheck every week or every two weeks from your job to make sure you can pay your bills and you can have a nice retirement when you, when you die. You are a representative. You are an ambassador for Christ. And then when, we, when you walk into that work environment, you are to represent the, the, the glory and the beauty and the truth of Jesus and who he is. And that means that we should work, we should be the best employees at our, at our workplace. That's what that means. Because here's that when opposition does come, and it will come, what will people say about us? Will they want to get rid of us? You know, these guys, you know what? They, they didn't want Daniel. They were playing the, the game of politics. Has ever happened to you? The game of politics in your workplace? The game of politics in your, in, in, in your, I mean, the whole idea of politics is that there's this hierarchy that people are trying to get above you. Daniel wasn't playing those political games. He's like, I, I'm just going to do my job. And these guys, they didn't like it that he was getting elevated. And the reason he was getting elevated, because he was doing excellent work. We live in a world by which people don't want, they don't want to earn things. They want things given to them. And when you do things the right way and you work with excellence, you will come under attack today. It's the reality. And if you do, don't whine. Don't complain. You don't see Daniel going to the king. Well, guess what, Nary? Guess what, these two guys, they don't like me. I mean, it's, it's so hard working with these guys. No, did Daniel do that? No, Daniel just kept working for God. He kept doing his job. You think Daniel wasn't aware of of the politics and what was going on. Daniel's a smart guy. He understands what's going on. But you know what? He entrusted himself to the Lord. You know, one of the things, one of my uh, stories I heard this past year, I was talking to Chuck, Chuck Chalish. And if you know Chuck, Chuck is, he leads our men's ministry here. And Chuck's just a faithful servant of God in our church. Been in our church a long time. And he's, if you ever go to Starbucks at Birkdale, you will see Chuck working uh, every, most weekday, I think every weekday morning. And um, there were some things going on. And, and, you know, he working for Starbucks, it's a very progressive, uh, social, socially progressive place to work in. And, you know, you walk in there on, in June, and it's Pride Month, and everyone's wearing things. And, and I asked, I was like, Chuck, how do, you, how do you handle that situation, knowing that you're, you're a follower of Jesus, and you don't, you know, there's, there's some contradictions to the, this this philosophy and this propagation of society ideology how do you manage that and and he said listen I just my, my my boss comes to me and I we talk to each other but but the boss who, who because they know Chuck and because he's been such an amazing worker there and everyone loves him is like Chuck don't worry about it we love you we know that you care about us and that's the kind of thing I love that story because when there's when there's a time when there's opposition you it's important that we are people who are known by our love, that we're known by, by how gracious we are with people. We're, we're known by how much we love other people. And, and here's the thing. If you're a jerk, I mean, if you're, just, if you're the kind of person that just rubs people the wrong way at work, when the opportunity comes for you to stand up for Jesus, it, you're going to lose part of your impact. Work with excellence. Live blamelessly because when you do, the greater opportunity. From the king's perspective, he had already had an impact. Daniel had already had an impact on his life by how he was living. And that's the first way that we've got to handle opposition. Live blamelessly. Work with excellence because when opposition comes, you need to have the, op you need to have the reputation and the character that can withstand the opposition. That's number one. Number two, 
The second way in which we, we witness in the midst of opposition is we defy unjust laws in Babylon's norms. We defy the rules, the standards, and the norms that Babylon wants to impose on us. Now, now notice, these people didn't, didn't start out you know, wanting to attack Daniel's faith. This was not a religious persecution because they hated Daniel's God. They just hated Daniel. They wanted his, there's his political power. But the, what they realized is we can't get this guy from anything he's doing. He's a man of character. He's someone who, who works, he's blameless. He's not cheating. He's not stealing. He's not bad-mouthing. He is just, he's above reproach. But what we can get him with is with his faith. And so what they do is they create this law that you can only pray to the king. And they knew, they watched him. They watched him for days, maybe even weeks, to see if they could find something. And they said, the only thing that we can catch him with is, is in relation to his faith in his God. And so it says in Daniel, he used to pray three times. They open up his window to Jerusalem. And we're going to look later on in Daniel chapter 9. Why, why was Daniel doing that? Why did Daniel pray three times a day facing Jerusalem? We're going to read a little bit about that in Daniel chapter 9 in the future. But here's, here's the reality. What these guys wanted, they wanted to stop that and they wanted to attack him. And so what Babylon wants to do is they, they, they create a law that says you can't pray to any god but to the king. Now, notice the progression from Daniel chapter 3 to Daniel chapter 6. There are some differences in these two passages. In Daniel chapter 3, the test of someone's faith was very public. It was very public. How, what are you going to say in public? The test in Daniel chapter 6 was what happens in your private home. Now, let, let, this, is, this is important because there is, a, there is a flow here that Daniel's trying to point out. And here's what he's pointing out. If you do not stand up for the things that are happening in public, eventually the attacks and the laws will show up in your own home. That's what's going to happen. And so defiance is important, no matter whether it's public defiance or private defiance, that we need to be people that say, when, the, when something is passed that goes against my God, I'm not going to bow. I'm not going to bow. Or, or in, in Daniel's case, he is going to bow. Notice how the difference is in the, in, in the two stories as well. For the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what they're saying is, you got to bow. I'm like, we're not bowing. For Daniel was, you can't bow. He's like, oh, I'm bowing. You notice the difference? And so, so the point is that there is a response that Daniel has. Daniel's response is, and it, no matter what human laws are passed, here's what Daniel, Daniel does. He realizes he has freedom. I, I love what it says, verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, this was not a surprise to Daniel. He knew what was going on. He didn't pick it. He didn't, he didn't try to, you know, what he did was he said, I can't change this thing. But what I, can't, what I do know is this, they can't change me. I, may, I might not be able to change the system, but I'm not going to let the system change me. That's really important. It's important for you as parents to make sure that you're teaching your kids the same way, that, that even when they're growing up in this system, that it's not, the system isn't changing them. I've been doing a lot of reading recently on Nazi Germany. I've been reading biographies by certain pastors that, that lived in that, that era. I've been read some biographies on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I read a, a book recently on 
preaching under, under Hitler's shadow. Was, it followed the sermons of certain pastors in, in light of what was going on in Nazi Germany. And what's really sad when I'm reading and studying this, passage, this, this, this uh, element of, of human history is that when they, when they collected the sermons of German pastors in that day, only 12% of the 15,000 pastors that were preaching during the era of Nazi Germany, only 12% were speaking out specifically against the Nazi regime. It's, and it's, it's a confrontation of what will we do when we face human opposition, when we find ourselves in a kingdom, when we find ourselves in a Babylonian system that is going against God in his word. What will we say and what will we do? And one of the stories, as I've, I've read, uh, there, there's a group called the, the White Rose Society. Maybe you've heard of them. And they were, uh, they were a group of college-age stu- students. Uh, two of them were Hans and Sophie Scholl, some of the most popular ones. There's been movies made about them. But they were just college students, and, and they, grew up, they grew up going to the Hitler Youth stuff. And, and they were all you know, on board with the Nazis, but, but they're, one of the things that's not known about the Scholl family and, and Hans and Sophie Scholl is that their dad was a very firm believer in Jesus. And when their kids, and his kids, because they had to go to these Nazi, these little Nazi kid camps, and they'd come home all excited about the, the ideology, he would, every night at the dinner table, he would confront them. That's not what the truth is. Here's the truth. Here's what the Bible says. And over time, he was able to, to, to con- help his kids to see the light. And they started reading the Bible more. They started reading theologians. And it's, it's by the end of their life, because they were in college around in the Munich area, they started handing out these pamphlets directly attacking the, the Nazi regime, saying, we're not going to abide by this. That there are pe- we need to make sure that we stand. Here's what, here's what they knew, that these young college students that were in the midst of Nazi Germany. Here's what we know. This regime will fall. And we want to make sure that people know in the years to come that there was a group of Germans who stood up against this ideology that is wrong. That's, and they paid that, they, they took their stand, and they paid that stand with their life. And there's going to be times when you and I are confronted with Babylon's system, with Babylon's rules, with Babylon's norms. And what you and I need to decide right now is how are we going to defy? Because that's an opportunity. That's what we can control. The only thing that you and I can control is how, if I defy and how I, how I defy. Now, this is, doesn't mean Daniel wasn't a jerk. He didn't, take the, he didn't take the law and crumble up and throw it in the king's face. This is dumb. You know, he, didn't, he, wasn't, he, he wasn't obnoxious. He wasn't rude. But what Daniel did is the moment he read that law, look at verse 10. When, when Daniel knew that the document signed, had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and upper chamber towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He, he got, went down on his knees, and he said, you can't stop me from praying. He opened the windows. He didn't say, well, now that the law's passed, I'm going to close the windows. He's like, I'm not changing. I'm not changing who I am because of Babylon. Though they might kill me. They might 
maim me. They might throw me in the lines, and it's not going to change who I am, and it's not going to change what I do. And the question I have for you today is this. What have you changed because of Babylon's rules and norms? What, are, what have you what, what have you stepped back from? What, are you not, what do you not speak up about? What, do you, what are you afraid to do because of the environment in which you are working, living, or going to school in? This is our opportunity. When we see things happening, how will we respond? If we're going to respond like Daniel, we know that this defiance is going to lead to an even greater opportunity for worship. And, and that leads us to our, to our next point, and that is this. We've got to entrust deliverance and justice to the Lord. We've got to entrust deliverance and justice to the Lord. You see, a lot of times we want to control the outcomes. We want to control our deliverance, but we're not in charge of our deliverance. We're only in charge of our defiance to Babylon's rules and laws. But how deliverance is, that's up to God. How God handles deliverance is completely up to him. So Daniel knows these laws and he knows the consequences to his decisions. is going to probably throw him in a lion's den, but he's not afraid. It, we, again, we don't really see... The, the, Daniel, who's the author of this, of this story, he never lets us into his, his thinking. He never lets us into his emotions. He never lets us into, us into his thought process because, again, that's not the main point of the story. The main point of the story is that there's someone who's watching Daniel and why he's making these decisions. And, and what he understands is that he's entrusting deliverance and justice to the Lord. He's showing Darius, who believes that he is the greatest authority on the, pla- on the face of the planet, that there's a greater authority than them. By his life, he's saying, you can pass these laws. You can do these things. It's not going to change who I am. And then you see this, you see this, uh, this response to the king, because the king loved Daniel, he didn't want to see him die. And there's this law by the Medes and Persians. Once that king's signet ring gets on there, that's done. It's over. It's not changing. But look what Darius says in the beginning. May your God, verse 16, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. Darius is hoping that this God that he's risked his life for will make a difference. That word deliver is a word that's used, it's used eight times in chapter 3. And it's used nine times in chapter 6. Remember, the same thing that Darius says is very similar to the same thing that, that Nebuchadnezzar says, but a little bit differently because Darius is hoping that, that Daniel's delivered. Nebuchadnezzar tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we'll see what God can deliver you from that. Darius is a different attitude. He's saying, I, I'm hoping that your God will deliver you. And both of these kings are... are whether they are friendly towards Daniel or, or antagonistic towards the people of God, the point is they, they're not, they don't believe that God, that there's a God in heaven that can deliver. And one of the things that God loves to show is he loves to show his power. He loves to show his goodness. And, and so, so God does something miraculous. He delivers Daniel from the mouth of the lions. We see these pictures in these, you know, if you, if you Google images, Daniel and the lions, and you see some of these pictures, like even this one right here that's on our background. Now, it's a very dramatic picture. You see the lions roaring, and, and you see Daniel crying out to God. Now, let me just say, the, the one part about that picture that is a little off is Daniel looks pretty young. Daniel is probably 70 years old at this point. He's an old man, okay? 
And, and we don't know how that happened. I don't know if Daniel was like, knew that the angel was going to be there. I don't know if Daniel thought that he would be delivered. We don't know that. I don't know if Daniel was petting the lions all night. Like, this is cool. This is the closest thing I'm ever going to get to petting a giant. I mean, I would have. If I knew that a lion wasn't going to attack me, I would have, I would have been like, this is really cool, you know? I would have been like, can I use you for a pillow? And You know, I, I don't know. I, I would have enjoyed that evening, you know? Giant petting zoo that, with lions. That's just, that's going to be a fun thing to, to you ever, there's certain things that I think, I hope that are movies up in heaven. This is one of those things. I want to see how it happened. But all we, we don't see that, all we see is, is Darius and he is, he's fasting. There's, it says there's no diversions that were brought to me. He's like, I don't want any alcohol. I don't want any food. I don't want any dancers. I don't want any women. I just, I, I'm concerned about my friend. And God delivers him. Now, this, there's something about all Old Testament stories I want you to understand. Every Old Testament narrative that we see is given for two main reasons. The first reason is given is that to, there are times where these, these stories are given to give us a model for how you and I should handle similar situations. All right? they're, they're given to us to teach us how to live. And that's one of the reasons for biblical narratives. But that's not the only reason. One of the, one of the other main reasons, I would say even a greater reason for Old Testament narratives, is to remind us of the greater story. There's a greater story that Daniel is, is pointing out. And it's a foreshadowing of the great story. The story of God. The story of Jesus. And notice, notice the parallels of Daniel in the lion's den to the story of Jesus. There was, there was someone else who was blameless, who was falsely accused, who was sentenced to death and was put in a place of death with a stone rolled over it and was sealed by the governmental leader. Do you see the parallels? And there was someone who went in as a sentence of death and came out alive. See, the story of Daniel doesn't just remind us, uh, it doesn't just show us how to live in the midst of Babylon's system. It reminds us of the greater story. And the greater story is that of Jesus. Daniel is pointing to a greater Daniel. And that's Jesus. Except this one difference. That God delivered Daniel from death. Yet God allowed Jesus to be sentenced to death so that you and I might be delivered from death. And so here's what we need to understand. The story of Daniel Lyons then doesn't mean that if I stand up for God and I'm faithful to God, that God is going to deliver me from any kind of consequences. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that when you are faithful to God and you stand with God against Babylon's systems, you are already delivered. You're already delivered. Because God has already delivered you from death through Christ. And so that's why we can have boldness. That's why we can have strength. That's why they can kill us and they can maim us and they can torture us. They can abuse us. They can isolate us. They can fire us. They can, they can attack us but it will not change the fact that we will be delivered. And the people that are attacking the people of God, 
there's an eschatological picture here because what happens is, at verse, look at verse 24, and the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. There's a picture here of, it, of an eschatological, that this is, this is the grand narrative, that the, the people who hate God and hate the people of God will suffer death. They, they're the ones that will eventually, at the end of all things, receive the punishment that is due to them. And we can trust God with that. We don't have to be the ones who worry about how God's going to ex- execute justice. One of the things I've, I was reading this week, Psalm 75. Psalm 75 is all about God, just stop the work of the wicked and, and elevate the work of the righteous. I'll, I'll be honest with you, this is one of those things I've started praying this. I've started praying Psalm 75. Because when I see what's going on in our world today, I start praying, God, stop the work of the wicked. Thwart the plans of wicked people. And God, may your righteousness win the day. That's the kind of thing we need to start praying. And that's our faith. Our faith needs to drive us to pray. Daniel knew when he went to that window, he was praying to the God of heaven. And as a result of Daniel's life, what you see here in the verse 26 and 27 is amazing because it always leads to the worship of God. Look what Derry says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall, shall, and his d- dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. When you stand for God, and when you defy Babylon, it will always lead to the worship of God. It may not lead to your specific deliverance, but it will always lead to the worship of God. And that's the guarantee. And that is our hope. We need to entrust deliverance and justice to the hands of God. A few questions, and then we're done. Number one, if someone was going to attack you, Someone who's going to attack you, has your life and your character given them the ammunition they need to do it? If we're going to, listen, if we're going to be witnesses for Jesus and represent Jesus, may we live and work like Jesus wants us to live. It's bigger than your paycheck. It's bigger than your grade. It's about you representing Jesus in very difficult places. But work with excellence. Live blamelessly. Number two. How are you going to defy Babylon in your work, in your school, or in your neighborhood? How are you going to defy it? Is, is it by praying publicly? I don't know what it is. For Daniel, it was just, I, I'm, going, I'm not going to stop praying. This is a law against this, and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't know what that defiance looks like for you, but I know this. When Babylon tries to push against the ways of God, we have to stand our ground. And how are you standing your ground in your environment? Number three, what do you need to entrust to the Lord? What do you need to entrust to the Lord? Your future, your comfort, the the consequences. Entrust deliverance and entrust salvation to God. And when you do, you can live with the boldness and the fearlessness and the courage that Daniel had. You and I can thrive 
in Babylon because opposition leads to an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus.